Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined this week by Eleven Warriors' own Kevin Harris, who is making his first Real Pod Wednesdays appearance, I believe. Griffin Strong feeling a little bit under the weather this week, so Kevin has uh, graciously uh, joined us to fill in. Kevin, it's great to have you here. Oh yeah, thanks. I'm the the role player. Get get put in off the bench in these situations. So here I am. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. And I know you, like me, were watching the national championship game on Monday night. And I know for me, as I watched that game, the first thought I had was, boy, watching these defense sure looks different than watching Ohio State's defense this year, didn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think Kyle Jones said it in our, our Slack channel. Like just the difference is that Ohio State looks like it's reacting to every play, whereas both of these defenses were like setting the tone and basically, you know, they were the ones attacking on 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 every play. And it, it's just a different level of speed. They're flying to the ball. They're anticipating everything. And it, it, it just looked completely different. Yeah, it, it just kept making me think like, yeah, this is why Ohio State's paying $1.9 million to Jim Knowles, because we just didn't see that kind of defense from Ohio State this year. And, you know, I think you can look at it in two different ways. You know, as people say, yeah, I mean, Georgia and Alabama did have more defensive talent this year. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But it's just seeing the confidence they played with, the speed they played with, it, it just felt different. And I think a lot of that does go back to coaching and scheme. And I think when you start to think ahead to next season and if Ohio State is going to be able to get back to that point of winning a national championship next year, it's certainly going to start with a defensive turnaround and it's going to start with the four and five star players that Ohio State does have. They need to be playing with that kind of confidence and speed because Ohio State has talent on defense. It just hasn't played up to it the last couple of years. Right. I think the thing is, like you're saying that an easy excuse is like, well, you know, Georgia and Alabama were just too good. They're, they had too many good players like that. Those are just stacked defenses. And like, that's true. But like you can also look at Oklahoma State's defense and Wisconsin's defense, and they both have far less talent than Ohio State has on the defensive side of the ball. But both look like they're playing way better. They, they, it's the same sort of thing with the speed and the flying to the ball and the anticipating things. So I, I think like more, the more that I watch teams like Wisconsin and Oklahoma state, that's when I was convinced like, okay, Ohio state just doesn't have the scheme, doesn't have the guys, guys leading this defense that they need to. Cause I really don't think the players are the issue in this scenario. Cause I mean, the reality is if Ohio state even has an average defense, they could be playing for a national title. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we will see if Ohio State can get to that point. A lot of confidence in our readers. You put up a poll on 11 Warriors on Tuesday morning about who people think will win the national championship next year. And last I checked, 68% of our readers picked Ohio State to win it all next year, which I just keep thinking back to something that Colin Haas Hill said last year when he was with 11 Warriors on Real Pod Wednesdays. And somebody asked us, what's the best part of the offseason? And and Colin said the best part of the offseason is the fact that everybody's optimistic. And it's so true. I've thought of that answer so many times ever since he said it, because for eight months of a year, it's like every year, it's like Ohio State fans believe they're going to win the national championship. And then Notre Dame's going to score its first touchdown 
in the first game in September <laughs> and Ohio state fans are going to be ready to fire the coaching staff. And it, it's like, we just keep uh, going through the same cycle every year. And now to be clear, I'm not saying that I don't think Ohio state has a chance to win the national championship next year. I do think 68% of people thinking Ohio state is the favorite is probably a little rich because as we just talked about, especially if the defense, uh, there's still a lot of things that Ohio state's got to work on here. If they're going to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of question marks here and I, I'm not exactly surprised. Like you said, it's the same cycle. Like, you know, going into the Rose bowl, everybody was convinced that Ohio state was going to get smacked and then Ohio state comes out and, you know, does what it does on offense. And, everybody's like, Oh my God, this team is awesome. It could have beat Georgia. Like, but I don't know. It's just an incredible cycle. But after Ohio state's performance in the Rose bowl, I was not stunned at all to see, um, to see people that confident. And I mean, I get it. I get the confidence. It's not like, it's not like, I don't think that Ohio state's going to be good next year either. Like I said, with as good as the offense looked against Utah and should hypothetically be next year, it's not like the defense even has to like take a gigantic step. You're not talking like it doesn't have to be a top three defense, a top 30 defense would be just fine. So I, I, I think from that perspective, like I get it, but also like there's just so much more running through the big 10 is what Ohio state needs to get back to. But then there's the extra bit of, can they compete with Georgia? Can they compete with Alabama? Cause Alabama's not going anywhere. Yeah. And fans should be confident. Like when your team is one of the most talented teams in the country, like you should go into the season confident that your team can win a national championship. But, you know, like you said, I do think, you know, you could see that disparity last night of like the the way these two teams are playing. Like I, I came out of that game thinking nothing less than what I went into that game thinking that those were the two best teams in college football this year. I mean, uh, Ohio State might have had the best offense in college football, but I I did not watch that game and think Ohio State would have beaten either one of these two teams. Maybe, you know, they might have beat Cincinnati. They might beat Michigan again if they played again. But I I did not come out of that game thinking, you know, Ohio State would have beaten either one of these two teams. I think those were uh, the two best teams in the country, and Georgia certainly played better in that game. But, you know, you did make the point about, you know, coming out of a Rose Bowl. And, you know, that goes to one of the questions we were asked this week. You know, do you think there's such a thing as a post-bowl win momentum? And I've kind of gone back and forth on that because, like, I think there is. But I also think I think that's more rooted within, like, the fan base and, like, even, like, with us and, like, the way we write. I think it's more rooted within that than it really is in, like, tangible what's going to happen next season because like the reality is Ohio State could have got blown out in the Rose Bowl and that wouldn't have prevented Ohio State from winning a national championship next year like I I do think it's a good thing to like finish the season on a high note because I I think there would have been a lot of people feeling really down within the program if they had lost you know two games in a row to finish the year but I don't know that it really has any tangible effect on on next year in terms of what happens with the team I think it almost is more like you said within the fan base I think it's brought up some more confidence because without a doubt the vibe since the Rose Bowl has been a much more positive one than the vibe in between that Michigan loss and the Rose Bowl yeah I think if there is any momentum it comes from and I got a lot of heat for this for talking about it in the skull session where people were like accusing me of not caring about the Rose Bowl and stuff like that but I honestly think that the opt-outs are a net benefit to Ohio state in the long run, because the reality is Ohio state was going to be like Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave were never coming back. 
And so the reality is Ohio State was going to have to play those guys at some point anyway. And so with both of them opting out and not really even practicing, not getting those game reps against a very good Utah team, you really got that look at what this offense is going to look like next year for the most part. I mean, you had you still had a few seniors, you know, Thayer Munford was out there and stuff like that. So the offensive line is going to look a little different. Luke, not Luke Farrow, Jeremy Ruckert was out there. So it is going to look a little different, but for the most part, like you got a preview of what the offense next year looks like and those young players got reps. And so from that standpoint, like, yeah, that, that has to give you a little confidence. Like, okay, this is, you know, like this is what our offense is going to look like next year. And we also have a full spring, a whole fall camp to even get better than what we saw against Utah. So I think from that standpoint, young players getting bowl practices and stuff like that, there absolutely is momentum that like Marvin Harrison Jr. like came out and looked awesome in his pretty much his first start. And I think you've even seen that in the past with like Jeff Okuda. He had a great cotton bowl that one year, but I, I don't think that it really matters all that much if they won or lost. I think it has a lot to do with individual players more than even just the outcome. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that was another thing I was thinking about watching the game on Monday night, because we saw once Jameson Williams went down for Alabama, they had to rely on a lot of freshman receivers, much like Ohio State did in the Rose Bowl. And those guys didn't step up in the same way we saw Mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr. step up in the Rose Bowl. And now, granted, Georgia's defense is a lot better than Utah's defense. Georgia did not have a converted running back playing cornerback. So it's, <laughs> not, it's not the same situation. And so it's a little bit too simple to equivocate it and say, well, this proves Ohio State's backup receivers are better than, you know, Alabama's backup receivers, or this proves CJ Stroud's better than Bryce Young. That's simplifying things because they were two different games. But I think, you know, to your point, it, it does absolutely give those guys like Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka to make some plays in that game, some tangible momentum. I mean, it, it certainly shows us just how good uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is. And I think, you know, watching that game last night, I mean, my, my ever thought, I mean, first of all, just, you know, a really unfortunate break for Jamison Williams. I know, you know, you talk about us getting heat. I know some of our uh, listeners are sick of hearing us talk about Jamison Williams, so we won't get into that too much, but you know, certainly wish him all the best after his injury on Monday night. And, you know, I think that right there to me, it's like, as soon as I saw that, it's like, well, that's why Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson didn't play in the Rose Bowl. And I know I tweeted about that and some people didn't understand my tweet. I was not saying that I think players should opt out of a national championship game. That's not where I was (laughs) going with it. But I think that was another reminder of, why guys are likely to continue opting out of non-playoff bowl games because Jamison Williams, a lot of people are talking about him as a top 10 draft pick. And if that was a significant injury, he saw on Monday night, you know, as of a time we're recording, there hasn't been a diagnosis on an injury, but that could potentially have a really adverse impact on his draft stock. And that's what Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave wanted to avoid. Yeah. I mean, like the reality is, I I think that there's a perception that's like, well, you can always heal from an injury. You can always come back from it. And I think that's true to a point. And I think most guys who do suffer injuries, especially like late in their college careers and stuff like that, like most guys in modern medicine is really good at getting guys back from injuries, but that's not, it's still going to hurt his draft stock. He's still, I mean, if he was projected as a top 10, top 15 pick and he falls even, you know, late first round, God forbid the second round or whatever, that's still like millions of dollars in, in earnings over a rookie contract that you're talking about. Like it's significant money that it's costing him, you know, even if he does bounce back, even if he has a hall of fame career, like 
I don't know, it, it's not insignificant. And when you basically can only make you you have a given time frame where your body can make this sort of money and um, you really don't want to sacrifice it <laughs> that early, you know, like, you know, uh, who knows? I'm not going to wish this on him, but that could have been a career altering injury. You know, we've seen that before. And so I, I totally get it. I totally get why guys opt out. I It makes all the sense in the world to me. Likewise, I totally understand why guys would want to play it too, but I, I just think it's the reality. And I think that it's a situation that is not going away and people are going to have to learn to respect those decisions. Yeah. Hopefully JMO will make a full recovery and whatever he decides to do, whether that's return to Alabama for another year, go to the NFL. I hope everything works out for him. I am a little bummed now because I'm pretty sure this means we're not going to get to see him run a 40 yard dash at the NFL combine. And I was, yeah. I was very interested to see how fast he was going to run. Cause I think he would have run very fast. Yeah. I, when he was at Ohio state, I called him Ted Ginn, junior, junior for uh, <laughs> for a reason. So he was a uh, very fast and it was always fun to watch him run. Whatever thing that we learned after the national championship game on Monday night was where Ohio State finished in the final polls. And Ohio State finished fifth in the final coaches poll, but sixth in the final AP poll. And I think this is a stat we should highlight that Ohio State has now finished in the top six, eight years in a row. And to put that in perspective, no other school currently has a streak of more than two years in the top six. Now, Bama has been in the top six for seven of the last eight years. The one year it was 2019 when it finished eighth. So, you know, Bama's had very similar consistency. But, you know, I think just to highlight the fact that things have been pretty good for Ohio State, the fact that Ohio State has very consistently been one of the best teams in the country throughout the college football playoff era. Obviously, Ohio State wants to get back to that number one spot, and it hasn't been there since the first college football playoff. But the fact that year after year, Ohio State is finishing among the top six teams in the country just shows you the level of consistency within this program that other than Alabama, nobody else could match. Yeah, I, I think it used to even be Alabama and Clemson, and then you saw what happened to Clemson this year. So so that, that'll be interesting to follow, too, that that entire Clemson, what, what happens with Clemson with Venables gone and really just that entire team kind of having a new look, but yeah, in in terms of Ohio state, like, I think it's hilarious when you really break this down, like this year when they finished number six in the country is like one of the worst Ohio state football seasons since like 2011, (laughs) like, like it's like the worst season in a decade. And they finished the season number six in the country and in the coaches poll, they were the highest ranked non-playoff team. So like just the perspective there is hilarious. Like Ohio state fans are really pissed off. We're talking about like fire everybody. And this is the number six team in the country. Right. Like Baylor who finished one spot ahead of Ohio state. I saw it. Baylor finishing fifth. That's their highest ranking ever. (laughs) So like that's the difference in like where those two programs are. It's like for Ohio state, this is a down year to bad year for almost every other program in the country. This would be a great year. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible. Uh, it's just kind of the standard too. like I, if, if Ohio state's not playing for a national title and even last year, like people were pissed off the way Ohio state lost the national title game. Like they went to the national title game and people were furious. So if Ohio state doesn't win the national title, it's seen as a disappointment. Now, speaking of high standards, Ohio State had the number one offense in the country this year, and it fired its offensive line coach. The biggest news of the past week from an Ohio State perspective was Ohio State fired Greg Stadrawa and then on Tuesday announced that it had hired 
Justin Fry, who was previously the offensive coordinator at UCLA as uh, the offensive line coach and the associate head coach for offense. So again, we're talking about high standards. I think that speaks to the high standard right there. Cause by and large, if we look at Greg Stadrawa's tenure, his offensive lines were typically among the best in the country. I mean, I think for the most part, Greg Stadrawa did a great job as Ohio State's offensive line coach. He had two Remington Trophy winners. He had numerous first-team All-Americans. He had you know a bunch of players who've gone on to the NFL. I mean, you've had guys like Thayer Munford and Dewan Jones who came in as lower-ranked recruits and that he has developed into – uh, high-end uh, Big Ten offensive lineman. I think, by and large, Greg Stadrawa did a good job. The one thing that certainly hung over him the last few years was that there were some high-profile misses on the recruiting trail. There were some top prospects that Ohio State was expected to land that it didn't end up landing. I think that, more than anything else, is probably why we're in this position now where Greg Stadrawa is no longer on the staff because. Again, the standard is excellence. The standard is winning championships. And I think it's fair to say that for the last few years, Greg Stadrawa's recruiting was not at that level that Ohio State expects it to be. Yeah, it is kind of wild because it's like, I don't know that he like did it any other program in the country. I don't know that he did enough to get fired. <laughs> like it, it was certainly like, like you were saying, he led some good offensive lines great offensive lines and really he landed enough five stars like he, he got Nicholas Petit Frere and Paris Johnson Jr. Like I it he his recruiting was like fine enough to assemble these offensive lines and stuff. I, I, I think that's just like what you're saying. Like the the standard is so high that he was not the best possible option that they could have at offensive line. And I'm sure Ryan Day knew that he could go get Justin Fry and like that's in the back of his mind. And when you're evaluating like Greg Stradrala, Justin Fry, like it, it's just, that's kind of how it is. Like it, it's brutal. It's kind of ruthless, but like he didn't do anything to get fired. There's just somebody who is marginally better. And so it came, became time to make that move. Yeah. And that's how it works at Ohio state. Like that's it. If you want to beat the Alabamas and the Georgias, you have to do whatever you feel like you need to do to make your program better. And in this case, Ryan day believes Justin Fry, somebody who comes highly regarded, somebody who has worked with Ryan day before he believes that's going to help make the program better. And so, you know, time will tell him that. And again, I do think that that's going to start with recruiting. And I, that is one of the questions we were asked this week by Buckeye fan 67 about, you know, how good a recruiter Justin Fry is. And it's always tough to evaluate a coach as a recruiter because the reality is most of these coaches come from programs where they're not recruiting the same kind of players that Ohio state is. And even at UCLA, they're not typically competing for the same caliber recruits as Ohio state. So I think if you look at Justin Fry's, you know, 24 seven sports profile, and you just look at the star ratings, you can look at it and go, eh, that's underwhelming. Like where are these, you know, five-star guys he's going to have to get at Ohio State. But, you know, I don't think you can just go off that. I think you have to try to project how, you know, what somebody's done at another school is going to then elevate once you get to Ohio State. And he does have a track record of, you know, recruiting and developing some really good offensive linemen. I mean, he, at Boston College, he, he brought in, Chris Lindstrom, who was a freestyle recruit at the time, he went on to be the number 14 overall pick 
in the NFL draft a couple years ago, which is actually higher than any offensive lineman was drafted during Greg Stadrawa's tenure at Ohio State. You know, his top recruiting win at UCLA in terms of stars was Sean Ryan, who was the number two guard in his class a couple years ago. He ended up being a freshman All-American, was an All-Pac-12 player this past season. So uh, he's shown that he can, he's certainly shown that he can develop offensive linemen. You know, I think relative to the schools he's been at, I think he's done a a good job recruiting. I'm not going to say excellent. I think that has to be proven. But, you know, I think Ryan Day certainly knows Justin Fry well enough to know what he brings to the table as a recruiter. And so I think there's reason for optimism here. And, you know, this is another guy kind of in line with some of Ryan Day's other hires. He's a younger guy. He's only 38 years old. You know, everything I've heard is that he does a really good job you know, relating to his players and connecting with them. And so I think there's reason for optimism with him coming in. I think the next year is going to be a big year to prove it because Ohio State needs a big 2023 offensive line class to to make up for some of the misses that it's had the last couple of years. So I think year one, Justin Fry is going to have a really big job in front of him on the recruiting trail. But, you know, I think there's reason for optimism. I just think it's unproven. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the big thing that you kind of hit on is like Ryan day wouldn't be making this move if he didn't think that it was going to be a significant increase in recruiting, you know? So whether that speaks more to Justin Fry's recruiting ability or Greg's to recruiting ability, <laughs> I, I, I don't a hundred percent know, but I, I don't think that he would just be making this move like on a hunch that he thinks it's gonna, like, there's some level of like, he believes certainty to fire somebody and move somebody else into the position. And I, I think in terms of what you were saying, like, you're right. You can't really evaluate. It's not apples to apples comparing UCLA or Boston College to Ohio State. But I think the thing that you would want to see is a recruiter kind of punching above their weight. And I think that he has done that in terms of both recruiting and developing. Like, is he landing guys and developing guys better than you would expect an average coach in that position to be? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. So the answer now is how is that going to translate to Ohio State where the standard is you land every five-star offensive lineman. So, but again, I don't think Ryan Day would be making that decision flippantly. And more than that, I, I think like with what's the role that they invented for him, associate director, associate of head coach of offense. Yeah. I'm sure on some level, I mean, he was an offensive coordinator at UCLA. I'm sure on some level Ryan Day values his input in the offense and wants kind of another mind in that room and another mind in how they can, you know, mold this running game and this offensive line and stuff like that. Yeah. I think the titles are hilarious because right now Ohio state has an offensive coordinator, Kevin Wilson. They have a passing game coordinator because they just promoted Brian Hartline to that role. They have an associate head coach for offense, Justin Fry, and they have an assistant head coach for offense, Tony Offord. And none of them call offensive plays because Ryan Day is the offensive play caller. So, you know, I think that's kind of hilarious. Like I have people asking me like, what does this mean? And I'm like, what it means is it's a way to justify paying these guys more money. Like, I mean, if we're being blunt, like that's not to say that all of those people don't have a hand in the offensive game plan, because I think they will. Like you make the point with Justin Fry. The one thing I'm interested in with Fry is to see, will he bring maybe some different run concepts to this offense. Cause there were some talk that he could be run game coordinator. They went with the associate head coach for offense title, but obviously, you know, the past game has been spectacular at Ohio state. The run game had some issues in big games this year. And I know, you know, 
even just reading people like Bill Landis from the athletic, I know he's, he's talked a lot about how, you know, the run game was very predictable this year. And, you know, they were doing a lot of same things that weren't working. And, you know, I actually, you know, suggested to our Kyle Jones that I, I think something that I think a lot of you would like to read would be looking at UCL run game concepts and what that could potentially bring to Ohio state's offense. So hopefully he will do that. Uh, I know Alta Buck asked us this week, is Coach Fry a proponent of gap scheme blocking or zone? And Jones did tell me that they do some gap scheme stuff that he thinks they could potentially bring into the Ohio State offense. So I think that's the intriguing part of it is, you know, how much influence will he have on the offense next year? How much will Ryan Day utilize his input to to make changes to his offense? We can't really know the answer to that, but I think that if, you know, Ryan Day is bringing him in with the idea of giving him, you know, some freedom to implement new things in the offense. I think there could certainly be some benefit to that as well. Yeah. I, I was actually reading after reading that question, because I never really thought of that. I've been, um, I mean, Ohio state's run pretty much his own blocking scheme for as long as I can remember. Um, it didn't really even strike me that they could be considering a switch to gap scheme, but I saw pro football focus has, they basically outlined the Bruins is running gap scheme on like two thirds of their runs on their running place. And so there's your answer there. Like it, it sounds like he, he knows gap scheme. You know, there's also that one third that is a zone blocking scheme too. So I'm very curious to see how that goes because it, it very well could have been one of those things where Ryan Day is like frustrated that they can't run the ball and wants to try something else, or at least get somebody who's comfortable with really both schemes, both zone blocking and gap scheme. Um, so it, it's tough to tell for those of you who want like a very basic crash course. Again, I'm a, I am a um, five, nine guy who could fit into kids gap clothes probably like <laughs> four years ago. So I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on offensive line play, but from my basic understanding, I, I think that gap scheme helps a lot more with getting pulling offensive linemen out to be lead blockers and stuff like that, which is some stuff Ohio State tried to do, especially when it was clear that, you know, they were going to have to run the ball outside a lot of times because they weren't really having success up the middle. So I, I could very much see that playing into the the decision to to switch over because I'm pretty certain that Greg Stradrava was almost completely a, a zone blocking scheme guy. And having real guards play guard next year might help too, which also, yeah, (laughs) might've been another thing that contributed to this. So I still think the offensive line this year was mostly good. I mean, in in Mm pass protection, they were very good most of the year. They, they did struggle in some of the bigger games in the run game. And so I I do think this is a justifiable move and I I am interested uh, to see where it goes, but, you know, think it's also, you know, I don't think we should sit here and dump on Greg's to draw all day. Cause I think he did for the most part, do a good job. And this is just a matter of Ryan day deciding that, you know, somebody else might be able to do the job better. And I imagine that if stud wants to continue coaching, I know he's had some, you know, health things, but if, if he wants to continue coaching, I, I imagine that he will resurface somewhere else. I know that we were also asked, I am pretty sure it's at least the third week in a row. We've been asked by at least one uh, listener about, fervor staff changes on the defensive side of a ball. And, you know, I, I think the truth is, I think we wish we had the answer to that question for you right now. We still don't, we don't know exactly when the answer is going to come. I mean, I do think back to the last couple of years, I know last year they announced Parker Fleming's promotion during the February signing day. I know the year before that Ohio state announced Kerry Combs. And I think it was late January after the Titans 
were eliminated from a playoff. So there's no, you know, hard deadline here for when changes have to be made. I, I do think that if changes are going to be made, they're certainly going to be made sooner than later, but it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen here. I mean, there hasn't been any concrete, you know, reporting or rumors really about anyone else leaving the staff, but there also hasn't been any concrete answers of this person's definitely coming back. And so I'm sure whenever we next talk to Ryan Day or whenever the next press conference is, there will be some answers on that. You know, I, I know there have been some rumblings about, you know, maybe bringing in a new defensive backs coach. I haven't heard any names to, you know, with the kind of sourcing to where I'd want to just toss a name out there right now. But, you know, I, I, I do think that changes are probably being explored. What will actually happen here? Still, as of this moment that we speak on a Tuesday afternoon, still seems to be somewhat up in the air. Yeah, I think I personally would be pretty stunned if this was just it. Like if this was Me the too. defense, if, if this was the defensive coaching staff. But in that same vein, I, I don't know any imminent, like what's going to happen imminently. And more than that, you kind of hit on it, like, Ryan Day has in the past liked to hire from the NFL. And especially if he just got a college guy as the defensive coordinator, I wouldn't be shocked if you wanted a little more NFL experience on the defensive side too. And with games literally like, I mean, the regular season for the non-playoff teams just ended this weekend. So we're recording this on Tuesday. So it's been two days. If he wants to hire from the NFL, it's not entirely like super realistic that he makes those decisions immediately. So I, I, like I said, would be really stunned if this was just it. This was the defensive staff for next year. But I don't, like Dan said, I don't know who um, with very good non-message board rumory leanings about who that could possibly be. Yeah, and we'll see if by next week's episode, if maybe we have some more clarity on what the coaching staff is going to look like. One more thing I think we should talk about here. You know, we really didn't talk about it here on Real Pod Wednesdays when it happened because it was right before the Rose Bowl. But a couple of weeks ago, Ohio State landed a transfer from Diamante Tranum, who was a running back at Arizona State, but he's now going to play linebacker at Ohio State. And then Ohio State also landed a transfer this past week from Tanner McAllister, who played for Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State, and he's now going to follow Knowles to Ohio State, he basically played what was known as the cover safety position at Ohio State this year. He, you know, he lines up some at safety, he lines up some at the slot. So you would imagine that he's going to play a similar role at, at Ohio State. That's what he told me when I talked to him that he thought was going to be his role. So two additions from the transfer portal so far, both on defense. Both of those guys are now on campus. They have started their Ohio State careers this week as mid-year enrollees, along with much of the freshman class that's coming in. So, you know, not sure any more transfers are imminent at this point, given the fact that the semester has just started. If they bring in any more transfers, it would probably be guys coming in the summer. But, you know, I think these two guys coming in are both intriguing. I think, you know, two very different transfer additions. I think Tanner McAllister, somebody who I would expect to play a major role next year, has just one year of left of eligibility. I don't think he's making this move to Ohio State un unless he expects to be a starter next year. And I don't think they'd be bringing him in if they didn't think that he could be an upgrade at that cover safety spot. And then a Diamante Train, a guy who, you know, obviously we've seen them have some success already moving or running back to linebacker in Steel Chambers. Train him similarly was a guy who was recruited on both sides of the ball 
out of high school, a guy that Ohio State actually preferred as a linebacker coming out of high school. He wanted to play running back, now going back to the defensive side of a ball. You would think he's more of a long-term project. He still has three years left of eligibility, and you'd think he's more likely to make a big impact in 2023 or 2024 than he is in 2022. But we saw Steel Chambers become Ohio State's best linebacker in his first year as a linebacker of his past season. So you never know. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. And it, the way that they talked about, about Steel Chambers, both Ryan Day and you know Al Washington and Kerry Combs a little bit too, just the way that they talked about him and his instincts and really the, the way that they loved that he could understand the game from an offensive perspective and how different it is to really know what an offense is doing when you've been there as a running back. Uh, I was not actually all that stunned that they decided to make this move and bring in another running back to, you know, convert into a linebacker. And to be clear, I, I think we kind of use the convert into a linebacker a little flippantly. Like he was a very good linebacker in, in high school. Like yeah. it's not like he's just like has to learn how to tackle and has to learn. Like and it, it's not like he's that far removed from it either. So I don't think it's, it's that insane, but I think it would be really funny is if somehow you had Cade Stover and these two converted running backs on the field at the same time at linebacker. So just, yeah, it's, just it, all, it's become all, a trend. Just switch, you know, if, if you need a linebacker, just go to another position group and <laughs> grab someone. Wonder who's the next one. I want to see uh, Daywon Jones put him at Mike. I mean, can we get to Mario McCall, a uh, <laughs> seventh year, play him at linebacker? I mean, he's played every other position on the team. Why not linebacker? Yeah. yeah if anyone needs a seventh year of eligibility, it's to Mario McCall. <laughs> We're going to bring Garrick in here in just a minute to, to talk about some recruiting, but got to ask you one more question before you leave here. It's your first time on the show. So I feel like the, the listeners need this answer. What is the go-to order when you go to Arby's? So I, I stick to the basics. I am a uh, classic. Well, I, I get the double roast beef, not classic. The, the meat ratio is better with the double roast beef. And then, so I get a side of cheddar. So you get the cup on the side. You might get a little less than if you get it on the sandwich, but I like it on the side because you can dip your fries in it too. And I get curly fries and Arby sauce. And you can just dip freely the sandwich and the fries and your Arby sauce and, and cheddar. So that's the pro move, but their menu's getting pretty expansive these days. So there's a lot of decent stuff on there. They even have wings and crinkle fries. So I, I cannot say I've tried that yet because it's tough for me to go to Arby's and not get anything roast beef related, but I'd encourage everybody to go support their local Arby's. <laughs> there you have it, folks. This man, he knows Ohio State football and he knows his Arby's. So thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. It's great to have you on the show and we're going to have to do it again soon. Oh, yeah, of course. The, the off season is dark and full of terrors, so I'm sure we'll <laughs> bring me on to talk about Arby's some more. But lots of optimism about winning a national championship. Lots of optimism, 68%. And now we welcome in Garrick Hodge to talk about some recruiting as Garrick just got back from San Antonio. You were at the All-American Bowl all week, and it was quite an eventful week for Ohio State as uh, for, between Sunday to Saturday last week, Ohio State landed three more commitments for its recruiting class of 2022. First, they landed Amari Abor, then they landed Carson Hinsman, and then finally, Hero Canoe, bringing Ohio State to 21 commits for the class of 2022. And 
All three of those guys quite highly rated, filling really what were the two biggest remaining positions of need in the class, those being on the defensive line and the offensive line. So, Garrick, what do you think each of those three guys is going to bring to the Buckeyes? Well, we'll start with Hero. And I mean, quite frankly, I'm pretty proud of that Bonnie Tyler lead. That's <laughs> ever 11 Warriors, Bonnie Tyler and Deuce lead ever that we've had. So go read that, that if you have it. Yes, uh, that will be the only shameless self-promotion I do in this recording. But nevertheless, Hero is just a beast in the defensive trenches. And honestly, Ohio State sorely needed a true playmaking defensive tackle. We've seen them have a lot of guys that could maybe take that next role. But uh, a lot of guys that you talk to around Hero truly believe he's a three and done type of player. He's going to have that type of impact. He sheds centers and guards like there's no tomorrow. He plugs the running gaps and he's really going to be an impact maybe by his second year, an impact player. If he's not even already getting a few snaps on the field his freshman year, because we've seen Larry Johnson give defensive snaps to true freshmen that show that they can handle a couple of them their true freshman year and that have the size to play right away and don't, you know, need to put on 25, 30 pounds, which Hero's going to bulk up, of course, but he doesn't need to put on 25 to 30 pounds to be impactful. That's pretty wild what you said there about people think he's going to be a free and done player because for people who don't know, Hero's from Germany. Hero's only been playing American football for two years. So to hear, you know, a comment like that, you know, that raises my eyebrows a little bit because, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's still from a standpoint of just how long he's played the game is still very inexperienced. He's still very raw, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I saw Hero at one of the camps over the summer and he was easily one of the most impressive players I saw. And he, you talk about physical tools. I think he's 6'5", 293 right now. He, yep. His ability to move for a man of that size is rare. And, and that's why uh, he became such a priority uh, for Ohio State at that defensive tackle position. And I, I do think he has massive upside. I, I, I do question a little bit, okay, how, how you know, is he really going to be ready to contribute right away? Is because of how little he's played football? But I, I mean, I, I do agree that I think over time, his potential is extremely high. Now, I don't want to pour cold water on what I just said. That's not a consensus among everybody, but a lot of people <laughs> do believe that he can be a three and done type of player. And a lot of those play guys that have said that, you know, are kind of close to hero. So it's not completely unbiased opinions. But it's what they're saying is not completely outlandish. And if they're, I mean, all of these recruits have, you know, tremendous talent and ways that they could be successful and premier players, but they also have, you know, things that they need to improve on. And like to your point, Dan, Hero has been playing football for all of two years. So I'm going to say that his technique is not necessarily as sound as somebody that's been playing, you know, since they were five years old. But his, but he's also been an athlete his entire life. He was a soccer player before a football player. So it's not like he just picked up sports because he was a large man and suddenly decided to do that. But I do think that it's pretty significant how addicted to contact he is, you know, which obviously at that position, well, any position in football, really, you have to like it a little bit, but especially in the defensive trenches. Like, I, I think the favorite quote he's ever told me is I'm the type of guy that's going to be headbutting somebody over on the sideline when I don't have a helmet on when they do have a helmet on. 
And, you know, at first you're like, damn, this guy's, <laughs> kind, of, this guy's kind of crazy. But and also Larry Johnson's probably going to like look him in the eye and be like, hey, hero, don't ever do that. OK, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> It just kind of gives you, you know, like the tenacity and the spark that this guy brings. And I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see him against, you know, the other four and five star guys at the All-American Bowl this week, because unfortunately he tested positive for COVID-19. But it would have been really cool to, you know, both for him to see that experience, to get that experience against, you know, I think another great quote that he said was that I'm in the all American bowl and I'm not even an American. So I thought that he was really touched by that. So, and then, you know, for us to actually get a look at him firsthand and go, all right, this is how he looks against premier offensive linemen and stuff like that. But now you did get to see Carson Hinsman. What what do you, what did you think of Carson Hinsman? What he, what's he going to bring to the Buckeyes? I think his technique is very good, but I also think, it was very clearly evident that he's a much better run blocker than a pass blocker because he's not used to pass blocking, you know, in Wisconsin, they run the triple offense, triple option. Sorry. And, you know, he's mid interview and he's just looking at Devin Brown throwing a 50 yard bomb. And he's just going, wow, that's like a seeing a space saucer for the first time or something like that, because, you know, he's not used to, seeing a quarterback that can deliver 50 yard bombs or even running an offense that would throw it 30, 40 times a game. Well, that's going to change at Ohio state. And he already knows that his first year is essentially going to be a red shirt year and a development year. But I think Ohio state is getting someone that is committed to the program thick and thin, you know, two days, it was already tested two days after he commits Greg, you know, Greg Stodrara gets fired and he, on Tuesday said, I'm a man of my word and I'm going to pick a school, not, not a coach. And he backed that up and he's going to play center and guard at the next level. There's no doubt about that. He's not a tackle prospect. And I would guess what I saw from him. He's more likely to pay, play right guard than he is center, mostly because like we said, his inexperienced pass blocking, he also has never really done shotgun snaps up until this week. And he was doing them in practice and some, you know, were pretty on point and pretty deliverable. And then others were, you know, at the quarterback's ankles. So he's a work in progress from that development. But I think that his future is at a guard. Now, Amari Abor, he's a top 40 overall prospect in the class. He was at one point, he was a five star. He's now a, a four star in the composite rankings, but still a, a really big get for Ohio State at defensive end. I th- yeah, from what I've heard, I think he fell from a five-star to a four-star because he just wasn't as consistent his senior year as he was his junior year of high school. Like his junior year, he was just a man possessed of just mauling everybody. And senior year, some games he would, some games he wouldn't. And they'd like to see more consistency all around. But like to your point, great get regardless. Ohio State has been pursuing this guy for a full year, like – pedal to the metal and they landed him now how extensively they've landed him we won't know until february 2nd because he's still playing the recruiting game to this point and still saying i'm gonna still take visits and i honestly think that until the ink is dry i would be very wary of you know penciling in omari as a because they're gonna have to hold off texas and texas a&m because he really has kind of been flirting with those two schools all along the last uh, couple of weeks here. But he also did commit to Ohio State. 
And I don't think he would have done that if he also wasn't very seriously considering the Buckeyes and also if they weren't his front runner at the moment. So if you were to just look at the defensive line core that they have, you know, between Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Aber, Caden Curry, who just absolutely bulldozed people at the All-American game, and now Hero. And obviously they might add Christian Miller in on February 2nd, or they may not. We'll see. But even if they don't, those four guys right there, if they can add, that's a hell of a defensive line core to add to the 2022 cycle. What are your thoughts on Kristen Miller, where he stands? I know you talked to him down in San Antonio as well. What do you think Ohio State's chances are of, of getting his signature on February 2nd? I think they're good, but I don't think they're great. He's also kind of a hard guy to read because he's, uh, and I don't mean this as a criticism to the kid, but he's so Hollywood. Like he's there to put on a show every interview he's there to, which I mean, he should be because his career desire is to be an actor. So he should develop a personality as that kind of guy right away. So again, not a knock on the kid, but it's also kind of hard to read what his true intentions are. You can truly tell, you know, him being a Georgia guy and all that. He truly feels a connection to Georgia and like all the Georgia signees that were at the All-American Christian was like attached to their hip the entire time. He knows all of them really well. And not that he doesn't know the Ohio State signees, but you could tell that he has a pretty close bond with the Georgia guys. Now, I mean, he also said very flattering things about Caden Curry. He was like, man, he really impressed me today. I know he and Tegra had a conversation about Ohio State this week. Tegra said he was talking to him a little bit about it. And some of the Ohio State guys, you know, we're trying to get in Christian's ear, similar to, I'm sure, the Georgia players. But I really think we're not going to get a clear indication of where he's going to go or what he's going to do until February 2nd. I mean, if there's any shot in the dark, you know, Antoine Jackson has been Christian's mentor for a while, and obviously he's a Buckeye. So there's clearly a lot of things that those two talk about concerning Ohio State. And he also considers... I don't want to say Larry Johnson, a father figure, but an uncle figure for sure. That's the way he described him. At this point, I think we'd agree that Kristen Miller is the last remaining target for Ohio State at this point. I don't think, barring a surprise, that they're going to be pursuing anybody else between now and February. So Ohio State's class sits at 21 commits. You know, hypothetically, if we assume that Abor stays in the class and, and Kristen Miller goes elsewhere, if this class stays where it's at right now, how good do you think Ohio State fans should feel about this class? Honestly, I think pretty good, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, Jaheim Singletary decommitted and Quinn Ewers reclassified, even though he's no longer a Buckeye. They're still going to finish either fourth or fifth, depending on, you know, what other signings schools make. And to finish with a top five class for the third straight year, despite those two things happening, is no small feat, really. If there's one complaint I mean, probably the secondary isn't as great as it could have been, especially with a lot of misses at that target. But as the safety position primarily, but yeah, and Terrence all, Brooks flipping too. That hurt him at corner. Yes, for sure. And but if you know, it depends on if you're a glass half empty or half full guy. Like in October, the defensive line had nothing to it. And then all of a sudden you have four premier players at that position. And if we all watch Ohio State's defense from a year ago, I think we'd all agree that is their by far biggest need for reinforcements at the moment. So, and it's still, you know, a top five class nationally. So there's always going to be things to nitpick, but I think when you can finish with the top five class, you're going to take that every year.
Yeah, I think they need reinforcements at a lot of places on defense. A linebacker as well, a huge position in getting C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers, Sonny Styles being a versatile guy who could potentially play either safety or linebacker. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good defensive pieces in this class. Good about their future. Now, I don't think people should expect those players specifically to be the guys that are going to turn this defense around in 2022. I think it's going to be more guys who have already been in the program and gotten some experience, but certainly I think, you know, to bring in the kind of talent they're bringing in on the defensive side of a ball is something that is really important for this class. You mentioned Caden Curry uh, and how good he looked last week in San Antonio. Anyone else really stand out to you or any other big takeaways from the week down there? Yeah, I think Devin Brown's the real deal. I know he didn't show it in the game at all, but if you just watched him in practice, the zip that comes from his throws is incredible. That Tuesday practice in particular, excuse me, he just was tearing it up night and day. He was on point. He and all of his receivers seemed to have a lot of chemistry for only knowing them outside of, you know, Keon Gray's for a couple days. I, I think he's just chemistry oozes off of him and he's a natural born leader. Like he just has a charismatic personality. And I think that Buckeye fans are going to really like what they see out of him in spring football. I also, by pure happenstance, had to sit next to his dad for lunch and he and I shot the breeze for a little bit. And he was telling me that sometimes when the competition is pretty inferior, Devin can uh, fall into the trap of playing a little lackadaisical or like maybe forced to throw into double coverage he wouldn't normally make. But when the light shines the brightest, he is laser focused and intense. And I think the thing that really striked me the most from our conversation was Devin truly was disappointed that Quinn Ewers transferred because he wanted to beat him. He didn't, you know, that wasn't a, oh, good. I don't have to worry about him now. It was a, well, damn, I really wanted to beat him one day. But so that's just kind of how competitive this guy is. He truly is a competitor. And I, I think that once Buckeye fans see the velocity of his throws that he can make and what, kind, you know, Carson Hinsman was even taken away just looking at the 50-yard bombs downfield. I think they're going to be pretty impressed with what the Ohio State was able to bring in with this guy. And that's the mentality you want in an Ohio State quarterback right now, because the way Ryan Day recruits at that position, there's always going to be competition. You're always going to have to beat out other top recruits. So uh, I think that's exactly what you want to hear from a quarterback who's coming in. That He wants to compete. He embraces the competition. Uh, he's not afraid of who else Ohio State might bring in. Yeah, absolutely. And just to elaborate a little bit more on Caden, I mean, I don't want to call the guy undersized because it's hard to call someone who's 250 pounds undersized, but he's a little shorter than most guys he's going against. And, you know, he lines up everywhere from defensive end to defensive tackle, and it seemingly switches on every play. And yet the guy just had multiple ways to beat them. I saw him beat left tackles bull rushing. I saw him beat, you know, guards with spin moves and he did lose a couple of reps. I'm not going to say that he won every rep. I mean, there's one uh, famous internet clip of him going against Tegra where Tegra threw him down like a rag doll, making the rounds on the internet. But I mean, they went up against it two more times and he beat Tegra um, in both of those reps. So the guy is extremely competitive. And in the All American game, you know, 
he absolutely hoses the left tackle and has a clear lane for a sack and just misses it and turns into a nine yard game from the quarterback. And Caden is visibly upset with himself and, you know, doing the whole smacking his helmet thing and all his teammates are telling him, you're good, you're good. Just get it on the next play. And he delivers a sack on the next play. So I think this guy is, I don't know. I, it's a struggle for me to say he's underrated because, you know, he's still a top 100 prospect in the country. So how underrated can you really be when you're given that? But like you just watch this guy go up against tackles and guards that have 20, 30 pounds on him. And he's just beating them and beating them badly sometimes. And it's pretty impressive to see how developed he is for his size and his age. You mentioned Tegra. We talked about Carson Hinsman. One question we got from a listener was, how do you think the four offensive line recruits project in terms of tackle versus guard and center? You talked a little bit about that with Hinsman. You think he's probably going to guard. I I know you also saw George Fitzpatrick last week and then Avery Henry as well. With those other three guys, Tegra Shabola, George Fitzpatrick, Avery Henry, what positions do you see them playing at Ohio State? George, I think it could go either way. George was rotating in at both left tackle and left guard. George didn't have the best day on Saturday, got beat pretty badly at tackle a couple times, but his profile fit. He could do just fine at left tackle in college or right tackle, either one. He has the size. He's about 280, 285 right now, and he's got the frame and he's a he's got the size you want and the technique you want for that position, even though he's going to need some refinement and it might take a few years to get him to that point. Tegra, it's not impossible. He can play tackle, but I see him more as a guard at this point. He's definitely going to need some refinement on his technique. The good news with Tegra is the mean streak is definitely there. Like you can just tell after every rep, he is just absolutely getting after it with everyone. But the technique needs a little refinement because it just seems like he has a tendency to try to just throw people on the ground or just throw people. And, you know, you do that and you're going to get a quarterback hurt at some point by throwing a defensive lineman into them mistakenly. And I, I just think just based off his profile, he might be better off at a guard. And that's not to say he couldn't play tackle but I would say that he's more best suited for guard at this point in time. And Avery Henry, I just think it's, he's a tackle just by his size alone. I mean, even though he's what, three, 305, 310 now, and he lost over 60 pounds this year, I think tackle is what's best suited for Avery Henry. But again, I'm not saying he's Dewan Jones, but he may have to take the Dewan Jones path to where he's a developmental tackle, and it may take two to three years for that to really turn into gold. Another question we got about offensive linemen is, you know, really who might Ohio State be going after in the 2023 class? Because I think when I look at 2023, to me, that is the number one read right now. We talked earlier in the show of Kevin about Justin Fry, a new offensive line coach, and, you know, what he's going to have to do as a recruiter. And to me, that's number one on the list, because I think you, you look at next year. If, if they lose Paris Johnson, we still don't know exactly what Dewan Jones is going to do. But if you assume that neither one of those guys is going to be on the roster in 2023, I mean, you just talked about it. You know, there's a good chance that more of these guys they're bringing in this year are going to end up at guard than tackle. And so I think offensive tackle in particular is a position that Ohio State really needs to hit on in the 2023 class. Caden Proctor is a guy that uh, Big Ed specifically asked about. 
He's a five-star guy. I think they're probably going to be battling Iowa on that one. What do you think are the chances Ohio State could land Caden Proctor? And who else do you look at as potential top offensive line targets in that 23 class? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I would think that they're going to have to fend off Iowa, especially with uh, how outspokenly favorable he's been toward both Iowa and Iowa State and, you know, the interviews that he's done. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I probably wouldn't get your hopes up regarding Caden Proctor unless something dramatically changes here in the next couple of months when visits start happening and all that, especially because, you know, one of his high school teammate X just picked Iowa too. So that's another, you know, incentive in his head to stay home. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't say that Ohio State doesn't have a chance, but I just think that the desire to be a Hawkeye is going to end up being too great. But he also has a ton of other schools circling him right now that are not going to give up until he commits and signs somewhere. But moving on from Caden, I think that probably the best tackle that they can land that's not named Caden is Chase Bicentis, who we saw in New Jersey. And I think that guy would be a tremendous addition. Now, you, Dan Hope, were there with me when we kind of scouted Chase. And what were your impressions of who I think is the top priority for Ohio State in terms of the guy they can most realistically land? Yeah, I was really impressed. Yeah, I thought Chase looked really good in that game. I thought he was Uh, pretty much dominant. So I'd agree with you there. I think he's a guy that hasn't been talked about a ton, but I do think they are very much in the mix for him there. And I think, you know, he's definitely a guy who should be a top priority. I mean, I think you talk about top priority on the offensive line. I mean, to me, I think it's Luke Montgomery because him being an in-state guy, I I think those are the kind of guys you do not want to see leave the state. And that was obviously one of the criticisms of Greg Stadrawa is that you lost some of those battles for guys that you should have gotten. And so uh, I think Luke Montgomery's still the top priority just because he is an in-state guy. But I agree with you. I think that Chase Basantis is right there. And I know Peyton Kirkland's a guy that you've talked to a good amount too, that I would imagine is also pretty high on that board as well. Yeah. I mean, Luke Montgomery also would be a tremendous addition, absolutely, and is right at the top of the list for priorities. And regarding Peyton, yeah, there was, you know, rumors that he may make a decision shortly after his visit, Michigan State, on November 20th. Obviously, that never came to fruition, but he's visited Columbus twice now. He seems to have enjoyed his visit both times. And when he was on his visit in November 20th, he and Sonny Styles were basically joined at the hip, and they seemed to, you know, have a pretty good connection. And now that Sonny's officially signed and in, I think that he's going to be one of Peyton's top recruiters to get him there. And I think that Peyton is the absolutely truest definition of a true tackle. And I think that Ohio State has as good a chance as any prospect of landing him. So if you were to realistically suggest that they could get a class of Luke Montgomery, Chase, and then Peyton, I, I mean, that seems like a pretty great uh, offensive line class to be. Now, they still got a lot of work to do on uh, all three of those guys. But if you're a dreamer and a glass half full type of guy, I'm not discounting that possibility that they could land all three. Yep. And I I would imagine that by the time this podcast is published, that all three of those guys have, have already heard from Justin Fry, even though Justin Fry was just named as coach on Tuesday. Oh, I, One I, last. I, yeah. yeah. 
One last question before we get you out of here. We got a couple of questions about Jim Knowles and uh, specifically Buckeye11C asked, will the Knowles version of the defense change the type of players that we're recruiting at any position? For example, do you think Ohio State will recruit specific guys for his Leo position, maybe somebody that is more of a free four linebacker than a traditional forefront DE. And I think this is an interesting question because, you know, Ryan Day, when he was asked about it in December, he did indicate that he didn't think that bringing in Jim Knowles was going to have a significant impact on the type of players they're recruiting. And I don't necessarily uh, think it will either, but, you know, I do think it it's, something that has to be factored in when you talk about projecting how guys might fit into the defense. I think, you know, Gabe Powers in the 22 class is a good example of that, where maybe a couple of years ago, if a defense were running, you would have looked at him as more just a traditional Sam linebacker. Now I think you're looking at him more of being that Leo position, that hybrid linebacker slash defensive end. And so uh, certainly I think as they, you know, continue with this 23 class, that's something they're going to have to factor in terms of how they're recruiting guys to fit into that defense. I mean, I think of a guy like Malik Bryant, who I don't know of how good a chance they have to land him, but I know they've talked to him about being a linebacker. I think he's listed as a defensive end. Maybe he's the kind of guy they would target for that Leo spot. From your talking with recruits, Garrick, have you gotten any sense on whether things have changed at all with Jim Knowles coming in? as a defensive coordinator, or do you think they're still mostly targeting the same guys they would have been targeting before? I don't really think much has changed, to be honest. And thanks thanks for stealing my thunder, because I was going to suggest Gabe Powers as a Leo. But And yes, Malik Bryant would be a, another very good recruit that you could throw in at that Leo spot in this defense. That's absolutely correct with his skill set. But I don't really think much has changed. And I don't really think we're going to you know, it's probably going to be a year before we're like, all right, well, Jim is either sticking to the Buckeye traditional recruiting method or he's bringing in, you know, a little spark of his own. And also, I think it'll be different for him in the sense that, you know, you don't recruit to Ohio State the same way that you recruit to Oklahoma State. Like you have to find a lot more diamonds in the rough at Oklahoma State than you do Ohio State necessarily. So it'll be probably pretty different for Jim, at least initially, to be like, all right, well, maybe I can just recruit this guy because he's a hell of a linebacker, no matter where he ends up. And if he, you know, slots in to put his hand down on the line, then cool. But so far, no, the guys I've talked to, I haven't gotten any indication to where Jim is like, all right, well, two months ago, we were recruiting you for this, but now I really think that we may slide you here. So that may happen. I'm not saying it won't, but as of now, I don't think much has changed from a structural standpoint. Yeah. I think that's a good point you make about the difference between Oklahoma state and Ohio state too. Cause we get a lot of questions about well, how good a recruiter is this guy. And, and the reality is we, we kind of have to wait and see on that because he's never been at a school like Ohio state where he had a realistic chance to be landing five-star players. And so I think we have to see about that. I mean, my First impression would be that Jim Knowles is more of a coaching scheme guy than he is a recruiting specialist. But again, it's, it's a totally new situation for him. And, you know, we already talked earlier on the show about Tanner McAllister following Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State to Ohio State. That's a clear indicator right there that people like playing for this guy. And so 
everything that I've heard from recruits, and I think you've heard the same, but everything I've heard about their first impressions of Jim Knowles have all been very positive. So time will tell how much of an impact he can really make on the recruiting trail. But so far, he seems to be making a good impression on every recruit he's talking to. Yeah, I've heard nothing but glowing feedback from every recruit that said they've talked to Knowles for sure. Well, thanks again for joining us, Garrick. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show and we'll have to do it again soon. All right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Really appreciate both Kevin and Garrick for joining the show this week. Enjoyed talking to those guys about Ohio State football and Ohio State recruiting. And we hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. And uh, looking forward to having Griffin back on the show next week when he's feeling better. Because while the college football season is now over, there's no off season here on Real Pod Wednesdays. So we'll be back next week to talk about all the latest and greatest in Ohio State sports. Hope you all enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon.